I'm Sarah in Tech, and today I will be talking with Chris Wynn, who's had a very interesting career so far. Um, but the real question is, what got you into it? technology? I So I, I coded a lot when I was a kid, um, but I, I don't know. I, I like solving problems, and I'm really curious about things, and I'm a very, you know, I, I like the logic to it. I like the sound of the keyboard. Um, so I, I, you know, did it when I was a kid, um, coded when I was in college a bit. But that's terribly unusual to me to hear like someone who has held the title of CEO and they've coded. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, uh, you know, I, like after college I was building websites and doing agency work and I stumbled across a startup called creative market, um, and kind of jumped ship from agency life and joined them and um, just kind of worked my way up there. And I, I loved being, you know, I was CEO there um, for about three years. Um, and then I, you know, had a good run there and took some time off. And, um, but I, no, I'm still technical. I love engineering. I love software. Uh, but I, um, you know, it's all, all kind of problem solving too, you know, um, even when you're CEO, you solve kind of like logical decisions and trade-offs and, and things like that. It just like the scale at which you looks a lot bigger. So you're not in the weeds, but you are making decisions that trickle down. Yeah. And even as a CTO, a lot of your job is a lot of the time it's being a sounding board and CEO is no different. You're just a sounding board for different disciplines. Um, so there's a lot of commonalities to it, but it was you know, as a CEO, I had to bring in engineering leadership and I also had to, had to back off a little bit because it was, you know, it was their team, not my team, um, at that point. But, um, but yeah, it's all kind of the same, same thing. If someone wanted to progress through their career, very similar to yours, uh, what suggestion would you give? I, you know, I, I, I just worked hard and I cared a lot and I, um, you know, surround yourself with great people be really curious, uh, find something you're passionate about, be, and which that gets said a lot, but it really is true because if, if you have a lot of ambition, you will need to work really, really hard. And it's hard to work hard if you're just kind of bummed out every day and you don't you know, love what you're doing. And so I just got really lucky. I found a great team to work with and I, I loved what I did every day. And I, I never saw it as trying to climb a ladder or advance my career. I just wanted to, to do good work. Um, and, you know, I got opportunities along the way and I just kind of repeated the cycle of, well, I'm going to do the very best I can at, at this job, whatever this job is. So. Well, some people might feel like they do good work and they're very passionate about what they do. Um, but despite that, they just don't aren't given any opportunities for one reason or another. And so sometimes it's difficult, even if you're ambitious to. Yeah. I mean, it's not, the goal isn't to be like CEO or, or something like that, but just even becoming like a manager sometimes feels almost unattainable. I mean, I was just talking with a friend this week and they made it very clear they want to be a manager. They have a very well-known social media presence. And then they're just not given the opportunity. They hire external talent to come in and, and suddenly they were passed. They weren't even considered. And it's, I'm sure that story is a lot. It's not just. Yeah. And so, I mean, finding a work environment in which they do give opportunities internally is 
very unique and very awesome that you had that. I think it's an intersection. I, yes. So, I mean, every story is different. I think, you know, one, yeah, you've got to find yourself at an intersection of you're really curious about an opportunity. The company needs it. You got to raise your hand. Um, it doesn't hurt to have, you know, sponsorship or partners in the inside the company. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've just got to, you know, hopefully you're at a place where people can have honest conversations about, hey, here are my goals. Here are my ambitions. You know, how do I fit into this or how don't I? And, and if and if everything's not lining up, you know, I think the other advice I would give is like, don't be afraid to make a move or, or to find the right place. Um, it can, you know, it, it takes a little bit of risk sometimes and, and you've got to find the right, the right team. Um, but I also think it's important to, you know, I was always so curious. I wanted to be as good as I could be. And that curiosity served me really well because I was always very humble walking into different opportunities. And I think it, I think it, it served me really well to not, you know, again, like I just wanted to do good work. I never Mm -hmm. thought I was owed anything. Um, but you've got to, you've got to stay really hungry for it and you've got to raise your hand. And if, if the opportunity is not there, then look around a little bit. Never hurts. Yeah. That, that is what my mentor was telling me the other day when I was asking him about it. He's like, you know, every two to five years, you know, if they're not giving you an opportunity, it's time to jump. Yep. And so I, I, you know, just trying to figure out how to navigate the workforce. I don't come from a family with a lot of corporate background at all. And so it's just, it's daunting sometimes. Well, and I think too, I never looked at it this way. I do a bit more now. But you've got to think about your resume or your career as, as a narrative. It's a story that you're going to tell the next place you work. And if you can zoom out a little bit from yourself and, and say like, hey, when I look at my story so far, what story does it tell? Because you're going to have to tell that story to, to the next place. And if, you ever, if you're ever stagnant or you're ever at a place a little too long or you don't have the right advancement story, it might be time to to look because you you'll hold that story with you your whole career and it may not always feel like it but you're in control of it you you've just got to if you do take a risk if you do jump you've got to you've got to be prepared for that because it's hard it's really scary to do and and it can take a while to find to find the right place I mean when I was younger like going to a new company and starting work didn't seem so scary I was like oh yeah it's not a big deal then I had a kid and now yeah. it's like, oh my God, my yeah. little, my little heart's going to give out just going from one company to another. And I, I didn't realize it. It's, yeah. I guess, it's a lot on the line. It's the magic of getting older, yeah. <laughs> I suppose. So I, I definitely relate to you on that. Yeah. Uh, I want to rewind a little bit. And you said that you got interested in programming um, at a young age. Want to share a little bit more about that story? Yeah. So my dad worked at a, at a newspaper. And the cool thing about that job for me was that he could come home with computers that we could not afford. Um, and so, so he would always come home with, you know, a, a laptop or, you know, just some neat, I remember one of the early digital cameras, he got to bring it home and I just thought it was so cool. I just loved playing with this stuff. And, and again, like we didn't, we didn't have the means to, you know, I always wanted a computer and we just 
and we couldn't get one. So I would always just play around on it. And it's sort of like, well, what do you do with these things? Um, and I remember using early versions of Photoshop, which maybe dates me a little bit. I remember Photoshop like 3.0. Um, but I remember there was a compiler too. And I started playing around with, you know, C and C++. And I, I didn't know what I was doing. I was not, you know, I don't know that I ever made anything worth talking about. But, but just sort of trying to figure out like, hey, how, how does this work? And can I figure this out? And, you know, it, it gives you confidence too to have a puzzle and solve it. And so, yeah, I was always just playing around with that stuff. But I never had... I never had someone pushing me saying, oh, actually, this is also a job and you can go to college and you can do comps. I never had any of that perspective. And so I was a little listless going into into college. Um, what did you originally aim for at college? German and international studies. And then I thought I was going to go to law school. And none of that happened. Uh, oh, wow. <laughs> That sounds like an interesting story. Well, I, so my sophomore year of college, maybe it was junior year, I had an opportunity to go work for a presidential campaign as wow. an intern. And I spent the summer there. They had two spots open. There was an intern pool of 30 people. And it was all these kids that went to these incredible schools. And I went to a state school. And it was all these, you know, Harvards and Georgetowns. And I just thought, you know, <laughs> I don't, you know, I don't have all the same credentials, but I can work really hard and I control when I show up and when I leave and I control what I do, you know, during the day. And so I just worked really hard. If, you know, if everyone started at seven, I'd get there at 530. If everyone went home at five, I'd stay till nine or 10. And because I kept doing that, I was there when other people at this presidential campaign were there and they just started to notice me and I built a little bit of a reputation. So at the end of the intern program, they had one spot available for a full-time role mm -hmm. and I got it. Wow. And so I spent the next year at this campaign. Mm -hmm. And by the time I made my way back to college, I was just in love with career and, you know, having a real exposure so when I got back to college, it was, it was a little tough to concentrate. Um, I had this business class. <laughs> I had this business class. I, would, I was building websites on the side and, and making a little bit of money. And I would show up at this class and just take the test and leave. And I would never show up for the lectures. But I was getting great grades on the tests. Uh, so I'd get an A on the test or, you know, B plus or whatever letter grade. So anyway, the semester ends and I get my course grade mm -hmm. and it's an F. And I was like, what gives? I'm doing great on these tests. And he said, half of your grades attendance and you never show up to my course. Uh... And so my GPA went a little sideways. I was begging with this guy. And I just, because I had so much happening in my career and business side and because school was not feeling as much of a fit, I was like, I got to go chase this career thing and business thing. And I just kept building websites and didn't, didn't quite finish college. Well, it sounds like it served you well. <laughs> it worked. I don't know. I don't know if that's the advice I would give, but it, it worked okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I know quite a few like 
I know someone who dropped out of Columbia and they're like a very well-known data scientist. I I know someone who dropped out of Boise State and they're one of the best programmers I know. They yeah. didn't even finish their bachelor's and um, yeah, and I am in awe of their ability to program. <laughs> uh, so I don't think degrees equate to success. Um, that being said, I don't think I'd be where I'm at without my master's. Yeah. So, I mean, it, everyone just has to do what works best for them. And it isn't a one size fits all. Yeah. That doesn't mean I'm endorsing everyone to drop out of college <laughs> right now. I'm not either. I'm not either. <laughs> so... But that was a really interesting tale. And so you went out to build the websites and then you ended up joining that creative company. Yeah, I joined Creative Market. Um, they were a, a startup and I just love startups. Um, and I, it, you know, found a really great team there. And we, we built a company over, you know, I was there for almost eight years. Um, and it was a blast. So... Um, you decided to take a break after that. Mm -hmm. And so what have you been doing recently? I've been, uh, I still code. Um, so I've been doing that. Um, you know, I had. And that's very impressive. Like you were on a board, you were a CTO, you were a CEO, and you're like, I just really love coding, guys. I, I'm still <laughs> pretty sharp. Um, and I wanted to stay sharp. I didn't want to lose that, that skill. Um, but I, you know, I hadn't taken a vacation in eight years and building a company. I mean, when we started, we were in an abandoned yoga studio, sitting on a floor, building an MVP and, and like true, like startup, um, really scrappy. And we built it to, you know, 50 people. We were doing business in 200 countries. We were, I mean, it, it got to be a really remarkable company hiring managers and building an executive team and, you know, finding recruiters. And, you know, we just did it. We did a lot of great stuff there. Um, and I hadn't, hadn't, it seemed like a good, did a good you, stopping point. So it sounds like you're married. Yeah. Did you take a honeymoon? Did, oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. No, had, <laughs> had, like, a, had a honeymoon before, before life got really crazy. Yeah. Okay. But, I was going to say, at least take that. No, we, we did that. Um, but yeah, not a lot of breaks in between. And I, you know, I, I just sort of realized one day that I'd accomplished, you know, if I had had a list of things I wanted to do, I'd checked the boxes for the mm -hmm. most part. Um, and it just seemed like a good company was in a really, you know, great place and, and we'd sold it and, and it had a new home and just seemed like a good time to reset a little bit before the, before the next thing. I mean, that tends to kind of be like the the yeah. full life cycle if you will like it is. startup series like seed series funding yep. go public and or get acquired yep. oh now we're acquired everyone decides to jump ship yep. it's like <laughs> it happens i mean i i was at a company and we like acquired five companies so i watched it like happen and then i went to a company and it was acquired and i watched that happen i'm I feel like I'm, I'm almost an expert at acquisitions. <laughs> there is a pattern to it. Yes. That, yes. That's the pattern. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, that sounds, I mean, it sounds really interesting and fun and that you've gotten to grow a lot from that experience yeah. and you definitely are knowledgeable. Have you ever thought about working at a VC fund or anything like that? Because that's usually the progression I see from those individuals. Yeah, I'm actually... Um, yeah, we'll, we'll Sorry see. Sorry if that was like no, too, no, it's okay. <laughs> too much. No, it's totally okay. Um, yeah, I've thought about that. I think it's really interesting. The, there's sort of a question in that of like, 
I, I, I want to continue being an operator. Mm -hmm. So I know that whatever's next, I know I want to be either start something or, or have a hand at building the company. Uh, but I also, I do a lot of mentorship on the side. Uh, I actually, I, I, every so often I'll do, you know, I might do technical diligence on an acquisition or something like that with a fund. Um, and I, I really enjoy that work too. And what's technical diligence? Yeah. So when a company's buying another company, uh, oftentimes the folks buying that company, they won't always know how, what, what questions to ask from a technology standpoint. Mm -hmm. And so they'll need a CTO or a fractional CTO or a consultant to come in and say, hey, is this engineering team healthy? Is this code base healthy? What will it mean to integrate with our company and our software? And, and just, you know, show us, show us what we can't see. Show us our blind spots. And, and that works a lot of fun. Yeah. I got feedback one time that we used too big of technical terms on this podcast. So I'm just trying to like every time I hit technical jargon, I'm yeah, like, yeah. can you explain, yeah, you know, yeah. what what this is or that is. So, um, but that's, that's really interesting. I didn't really realize that that was a thing. I know thing. I read about how, um, like Facebook and Apple and all those thing acquire other companies and how they'll even make their workforce go through the full interview process. They won't just ingest them into the company. And that's mind boggling too, to me. There's a lot that can go wrong. And then acquisition. <laughs> yes. I have so much. Yeah. I've seen it. I've seen it work well. Most of the time I've seen it not work too well. So, I know a company that would like put in bids on companies and then wait for them to almost die and then like half their bid. Yeah. And that's a pretty normal thing to get it on the cheap, I guess. And then you have all that talent and all of that. Yeah. Ideally, you want to buy a company that's going to make you a better version of you. But sometimes acquisitions are purely financial and you just look at a company very differently when it's a financial acquisition because only the only thing you can see are the numbers mm -hmm. but every company's other things too it's it's people it's product strategy it's it's a lot culture um, yeah it's culture it's it's everything and you're buying all of it you know you're not just buying the a profit and loss statement um so every every acquisition is different um but it can it can go sideways. Yeah. Depends on the parent company and what they're looking to maximize. Yeah, and you know, I think the other thing too for even for startup founders who are selling, you you got to remember that you're part of the equation too. Like your company is being bought, and that means that the company that's buying it owns it. They can do whatever they want, it, and you've got to be at at peace with that. It's not your baby anymore. No, it's not. And and you shouldn't if you had a problem with that, you shouldn't have sold. And, and so it's important to go eyes wide open um, when you go into those types of conversations because it's, it's all fair if, if you sell. And if you don't want to sell, then, then don't. I mean, I was, I was really shocked because one of the CEOs that I had interacted with previously, um, you know, I looked up to him and he was my CEO. Uh, after the company was purchased, he said something along the lines of like, we're like, we haven't had raises in like five years. And he's like, well, that's not my problem. And, and he's like, you're not my responsibility anymore. Yeah. And, and we're like, well, you're still called the CEO. Can you just a little bit? Yeah. <laughs> and I, I mean, anyway, and I don't mean to put you. No, no. I, I, but I think if you stick or if you do stick around, 
yeah, you are responsible. Like, don't, don't say you're not. Be, you know, I just think, you know, I think everyone should always be honest in those situations. And if you, um, well, I'm not judging that situation. <laughs> I'm saying generally, um, you know, I, I think it's important if you're a founder or you've started something and you do have an opportunity, just be real with yourself and then be real with employees. Be consistent in every direction that you're speaking. And if you find that you've got to tell a different version of the story to everyone you talk to, mm-hmm. you you possibly have, um, if not made a mistake, at least not not seen something you you should see the next time. You know. Well, thank you for for going so in depth on that. <laughs> I really just... appreciate like your viewpoint on it. It's definitely very interesting to me. Yeah. Um, so what is one piece of like life advice that maybe you'd like to give your daughter when she gets older that you think would stand the test of time? I do good work. Uh, you know, you're going to move to different places in your career. Uh, and hopefully you make some great relationships along the way. And hopefully you've got, you know, professional colleagues that stay with you through your career. But even apart from that, the thing you take with you everywhere is your work. And no one else gets to judge it but you over over time. And I think it's really important to think about what you're putting into it. And if you're if you do find yourself at a company where you're not putting in a hundred percent of what you're capable of, do a quick check on how you're feeling personally and, and what kind of what's lining up right in your life or not. And if everything personal is lining up the right way, really take a hard look at where you're working. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think everyone at their best wants to do awesome work. And if you do, it's an incredible feeling. Uh, and you get, to, you get to take that everywhere you go in your career. And that's a really, really special thing. Um, but if you're just kind of just kind of getting through every day, um, you know, it's... That's that's tough, and and we are so lucky in tech. Not everyone gets, not everyone gets the luxury of saying, you know, you know, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna move around. I'm gonna jump from this company to this company. Like that is truly a special thing that is unique in our field of of tech in general. Um, so I I hear some people in San Francisco every six months they just go yeah. pick somewhere else. I'm like, yeah, but. Are you truly productive in six months in that time frame? Yeah. Have you truly contributed? Yeah. And, and you know, one, if you're bouncing every six months, you probably missed your vesting cliff. So don't do not do that. That's <laughs> a, a little technical, but. Um, I'm just learning about that now. So. Oh, gosh. I mean, that's a whole other rabbit rabbit hole. But. Um, Options and all of that. It's people need to get smarter about that stuff because you're making economic decisions about your career and people don't know how to navigate those waters and they regret it. Well, it's so funny to me because in I've had a lot of Idaho jobs. Now I have a non-Idaho job and suddenly I uh, I have stock options. Yeah, and I have everyone offering me stock options. Yeah, so yeah, um, and then it will allow me to start my own company and my goal eventually is to become a CTO. Yeah. And so do I know what I'm doing? No, that's why I have a mentor and they're helping me and I check in with them once a month and, you know, help me 
get guidance about where I'm going. I'm sure you've mentored individuals and might the story might sound similar. <laughs> well, I, I do like a piece of career advice for folks is just, it's not that complicated, but spend a couple hours learning about how options work. Mm-hmm. And I see it all the time. People get offer letters and it's maybe some salary and maybe some options and they just sort of say, okay, and they don't, they don't know what questions to ask sometimes. And, the, you know, the thing to remember is if you're lucky enough to have a job where you get some stock options, you're making an economic decision when you take that job and you've got to be able to know the whole formula for it, not just your salary and your benefits. That's important too, obviously. That's what's making it work every month. But the stock options matter uh, and, and folks should just brush up on it. It's really not complicated, it's, but spend an hour. There's a lot of resources online. Um, it's important to, to know that stuff. Well, I'll ask something that I haven't yeah. had the chance to Google yet is, you know, they say at this point in time, you'll get this number of shares and it lasts for seven years. But if they IPO prior to that point, you don't get those additional years, do you? It tip, so it depends. Oftentimes when a company does IPO, it's what's called a liquidation event. And oftentimes in that, that case, sometimes, uh, and this is a little more typical for founders and owners, sometimes your uh, options, if you are able to exercise, uh, I'm avoiding, I'm trying to avoid technical jargon. The TLDR <laughs> is that sometimes yes, and sometimes it will convert into the, into the public shares of the company and you'll still own it. Um, but, but all that stuff really depends. Every, every company is a little bit different. Um, everything's kind of based on a template, but it can vary from company to company. And just for everyone to know, like IPO is initial public offering and, and the options are like you own part of like shares in a company and their options. And then when you IPO, those turn into stocks Mm -hmm. Um, and then you own a public equity, and then it's actually worth something when their options, if I remember correctly, they're not truly worth anything. Typically, an option will have a, what's called a strike price, which is another important thing to, or an exercise price, another important thing to ask about it. There's all kinds of tax consequences and just all kinds of stuff. And the thing that sometimes folks don't realize too is that if you do move jobs and you leave, you also have to make a choice about those stock options. And it might mean paying for them out of pocket to so that you can own them. And if you do not pay for them, you lose them. But the funny thing about it is you're paying for something that maybe is going to be worth something later down the line. But in the meantime, that's real money out of your pocket. And so, and it might also not be worth anything. Worth zero. So going eyes wide in with, hey, if... I need to exercise these options. What's it going to cost me? Uh, And asking questions about, you know, what percentage of the company does this represent? Some companies are very cagey about these things. It's very opaque. uh, I will say it's very, I I wish these conversations were something that could be standardized a bit. Mm -hmm. Some companies will be very transparent with you about those options. And some companies will tell you almost nothing and be very opaque and cagey about it. 
Um, I mean, like I had a recruiter like go through everything, be like, this is the option price. This is the strike price. Like everything we're on this series. We're, we're thinking about going to, you know, the series E because that'll make the stock price jump up this much and like explained it super detailed. And then the other one was like, you get this many. Not perfect. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You should uh, look at Google. Here you go. Here's a web page. I'm like, okay. And I don't think anyone's it's like very extreme though. And it's. Yeah. And I don't think any, I don't think anyone's trying to be misleading i just think it hasn't been normalized how to have these conversation what is okay to share and oftentimes a recruiter they're not even sure what to share and it really depends on leadership Mm -hmm. to say hey we're okay talking about x y and z and this is what we want to run through so really it's all over the place and i wish companies would um would just you know standardize a bit you know again like you are asking people to make economic decisions they need the information that would be nice as someone on the receiving end of, I would love the transparency that I got from one company, like ubiquitously, like here are the five pieces of info. We're on this series and this many shares. and Yeah, and if you can't talk about something, ask why. Why is it, why do you not want to share this information? It might just be because leadership hasn't had a dialogue about it. And it could be as simple as that. Um there could be other reasons too you don't want to share about it but but again like if you're not comfortable sharing um you know uh i i think that's not good (laughs) i mean it it also just depends on the culture like Mm -hmm. some cultures are highly communicative completely transparent Uh, i've definitely can talk through like a litany of cultures as far as companies go and learning like out of college what that even means because oh this is our culture i don't care i just want a job and as an adult culture and who your direct manager is are the two most important things everything else is like secondary for me now uh is those two like who am i going to work with every day and who's going to give me my info about what and how i need to do my career and what is the company culture like are we you know lifting each other up or tearing each other down what's going on in between everyone and Mm-hmm. And those, but like in college, it was like, what's the pay? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it's definitely, it's definitely a lot of growing and yeah, I'm sure it's a normal progression for everyone Yeah, to go through all of that. So let's see here. I'm trying to think of another question. Sorry. <laughs> um, so what is your favorite programming language since you're still really in touch with it? So I love, uh, I love Java. I love, I don't know that this is an oddball language. It's certainly. If you say rust, I'm going to be like, that's pretty odd. Rust is too, uh, it's, it's difficult. (laughs) It's ornery. Uh, no, Rust, I, I've, yeah, I've played with Rust a bit. Clojure, um, I actually love Clojure a lot, although it's not, I wouldn't say it's the most popular language, but um, in certain fields, it's it's super popular. But for web and startups, it's it's not, uh, it doesn't come around quite as often. Um, but I, I just, I love languages. I've played with a lot of them. Um, but, you know, every most startups are JavaScript and Node and all that stuff. Do you have a preferred tech stack that you just really like, like your go-to? 
Yes, for startups. Actually, this is this is good startup advice. Uh, you can have arguments all day about this stack or that stack bias toward speed of development because in the early days of a company, there's just too much to build and you've got to go so fast because oftentimes you're going to have some runway. You're going to run out of money if you don't get a product to market. That's all that matters. So mm-hmm. don't get tied up in you know, stay off Hacker News, like don't have arguments about tech stacks. What I really love though, if you agree with that and you want to bias towards speed, just pick up Node.js, maybe Mongo. Uh, Next.js is a newer kind of React-based framework that's really popular. It's great. It'll help you move fast. Just build fast. Because honestly, if you get to a certain scale, you're going to have to rip all this stuff up anyway. It doesn't like it truly doesn't matter. And if you've got great engineers, they can learn another language anyway. So it, it just don't overthink it. Just go for speed. Just getting that proof of concept, that POC out. So that yep. way you have something to sell instead of just describing something that doesn't exist. I definitely have worked with a lot of salespeople. They sold something and it doesn't <laughs> exist. And I'm not sure I can make it exist it's outside my ability. Get to market. Great engineers are pragmatic and CTOs are pragmatic too. It doesn't matter. And meaning they actually sell something that exists. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things you learn too when you're going through engineering leadership. You know, when in the early days, everyone's very, and I was too, I'm not trying to be, I'm not saying I'm any better, but you're very precious about your language or your tech stack or your favorite framework. And when you become a leader of engineers, you start to pattern match a little bit. And what you realize is, oh, everyone's arguing about this stuff all the time and everyone's got an opinion and nothing matters more than, did we get a product to market? Is it secure? Is it fast? And you can do a lot of that stuff in a lot of different languages. There are many paths to get to the same outcome and being an engineering leader, ultimately, it, it, it ends up not being about any particular language or framework anyway, most of the time, unless your product is so highly specialized, mm-hmm. then sure, the languages start to matter a bit. If it's AI, you might, you might really bias toward, um, or um, if it's machine learning, you might really bias toward Python or, or whatever, but most of the time, it doesn't matter. I always say R, and then I think someone like, <laughs> pops out of the bushes and then throws a piece of fruit at me. They're, they're like, no. Yeah. So, but yeah, everyone's really into Python. Mm-hmm. I've heard fun stories about punch cards and statistical analysis software and all yeah. of that stuff. And yeah. things change. That's the only constant. Mm-hmm. And not being married to a single programming language because that's yours. It's, you have to learn new languages almost constantly. And it's very important, at least like on the technical end. And then on the leadership end, it's like what languages can um, actually produce results because you don't want to be in such an obtuse language or try to use Rust to do AI. It's probably not going to work out very well. And the other thing too is that all this stuff runs on the same computer processors and what, like under the hood deep down, Nothing's different between any of this stuff because it's all running on, it's all ones and zeros in the end. It's just different implementations. And so that's the other great thing too. I really do encourage engineers, especially learn different languages. One, you'll see a lot of similarities. There's just a lot in common, 
But then you'll start to think about differences and trade-offs. And, and that's the thing about engineering leadership or leadership in general. Every decision has trade-offs. Every design decision in a piece of software, every product roadmap, mm-hmm. every financial decision, it's all just trade-offs. And the art of how you make those trade-offs, that's strategy. That's strategic thinking. Um, and if something doesn't have trade-offs, chances are you're not looking at the full picture. 100%. Nothing's free. Nothing. And, you know, you don't have to have some big fancy title to be dealing with those things. Every, you know, individual contributor, every software engineer, you're, you're making decisions and weighing trade-offs every day at work constantly. Um, recruiting, hiring, all of these things have trade-offs. Yeah. And... Um, I mean, recruiting talent and the way you do it, whether you outsource it to another country or you keep it internal, whether you go out to a contracting firm and have them bring their people in. Like, yeah, there's a lot of things going on in that space of running a company and a lot of decisions you have to make. Um, And sometimes not everyone likes the decisions that are made, but, you know. That's a separate concern. (laughs) Lots of politics. That's. Literally, uh, what I, I feel like my experience at a, a consulting firm was, was just a, like a very long college course in politics. Well, that's too bad. It's <laughs> a waste of energy. But I mean, definitely learned a lot. I learned about a lot of international politics in a, a company. It is yeah. very intriguing nonetheless. Yeah. So do you have any like wrap up thoughts or big ideas that you want to share? Oh, I, I just think, you know, for anyone, you know, getting into their career, you know, just it's easy to get into the day to day and to kind of lose, lose yourself a little bit. Make sure you've got some breathing space. Make sure you pull back a bit. Think about your career and, and what you're doing and zoom out it is easier to zoom out and look at it as a whole later when you've got experience and you start noticing patterns or trade-offs. And so if you don't have the experience, find a mentor, find a sounding board. Uh, Someone outside of work is great, probably much better. Good to have an internal sounding board too, but someone who can help you see things um, and someone who's got experience. Uh, I... I think if I had a career regret in my early days of my career, I was a one person show a lot of the time and I didn't have a sounding board until a little later in my career. And I still learned a lot. I would have learned a lot more faster if I had had someone to help me see things, someone a few steps ahead. Uh, And so that's another piece of advice is, is just find someone, you know, it's, we're all trying to figure this out. It's all a freak show. It's okay. You mean no one has all the answers? <laughs> nope. Haven't seen it yet. So the thing, I was talking with another techie before this. Gosh, really big, surprising. And we were, and I, they were running into, they want a mentor, but how to go out and get one. And I'm like, well, you find someone that has a job that you look up to or someone that you respect. And if you don't know them, you cold contact them. And they're like, what if they reject me? And I was like, sometimes in order to like have ambition, you almost chase being rejected. Mm-hmm. And I mean, is that kind of in line with some of your experience with like 
because I'm sure more people reach out to you to be mentored than are possible or like getting a mentor yourself um, because a lot of techies aren't very social, not very well networked. I run a meetup and a lot of them don't even talk to each other. And I'm like, please go get beer, hang out, talk to each other, network. It's, it's all good. And I mean, I know, but anyway, like how do you get a mentor? Like they even apps and stuff don't always work that well. Yeah. The way, uh, one way, uh, there's great, there's meetups, of course. There's also some really great Slack groups out there. Uh, there's one that's engineering specific called Rand's Leadership Group, which is um, Michael Lopp from, well, he was at Slack for quite a long time. I think he's at Apple now. But um, it's a great group. It's, it's engineering focused. Uh, but there's a lot of great opportunities in there for to find a mentor or um, or to be one. Um, but raise your hand and ask and find someone. I, I found that, and I had this experience too, I was so focused for so many years on building a company and building teams. When I stopped and I started to take a break, the very first instinct I had was, I'm going to go out and mentor first-time managers and first-time VP or C-suite, people who are getting the fancier title and who even at a high level have imposter syndrome or are scared. And that was my first instinct because I thought, oh gosh, like I have spent so much time focused on this one thing. I really want to give back. So there's a lot of people out there who have done it Mm -hmm. and who have had a great career who are actually really hungry to help someone else because they had a lot of help. Um, so, so raise your hand and find someone. Um, and then if you do get to a stage where you can look back and help someone who's at a step or two before you, it's an incredibly rewarding experience. Honestly, like the most fun thing that I've done in the last six months is mentor a lot more than I did. I always used to do it a little bit over the years, but in the last six months I've done it a lot more and it's a blast. It's so much fun. I definitely agree about all of that advice. And I really enjoy my mentor who is outside my company and who is even in a different discipline. And so uh, just helping me with career advice. And I also didn't realize that I'm not a junior anymore. I was, you know, didn't really realize it until I was talking to some girls that were were only a year into their tech career. And they're like, you have so much going on. I was like, I do. (laughs) What do you mean I have some? And they're like, you know, and then you you end up in that position. Sometimes it's organic where they ask career advice and you can help them. So, yeah, I I definitely agree. And there's other there's mentoring services that you can pay for um, that are out there as well. Is there any other closing thoughts or anything you want to recap? I I mean, I can, I've got a million things. <laughs> Honestly, the <laughs> thing that happens whenever I say that at the end is they're like, oh my God, there's this thing and this thing and this thing and this thing I want to talk. And sometimes we talk even more there yeah. than we did at the beginning. So that's. Yeah. I mean, I've seen a lot over the last <laughs> decade. So I can. I, I mean, this is. <laughs> this is about like giving career advice, technical advice, like about how, what advice you would want to give your younger self or your kids, not necessarily always career, what motivates you, um, you know, what makes you keep getting up and still loving programming, because a lot of managers that I talked to completely dropped programming off, like, 
why do like you said because you like to solve those problems and i mean that that's very unique um well i mean uh, one piece of advice i'll give too is so yes like i love building products i always needed the why i was always an engineer who needed to understand the story the customer the why behind the thing i'm building i never worked well if it was like here's the seven things you need to go build and i would always be like well but this third thing is stupid and I want to do it different. Like I always needed a lot of autonomy and, and creative freedom. Um, but another thing, uh, I, I mean, this comes up a lot when I do mentor is that fork in the road of, do I want to stay on the engineering individual contributor side or do I want to try management? There's no wrong answer. A lot of people think that management is their only stepping stone to make a little more money or have a certain type of career. And it's not, you know, there are lead engineers, principal engineers. There's a, there's a different track that is technical. And I think it's important to be honest with yourself about which one you love and which one you're excited by. I'm an odd duck. I love it all. I love people management. I love scaling teams and I love engineering and software, but being a hybrid and being in the middle, I, I probably is less common. And so don't feel like if you get exposed to people management or maybe you get an opportunity to be a manager and it's just not for you. Don't look at that as a failure. Look at that as, oh, I've learned something about myself and it's really development work that I love. That's not a failure. Uh, and there's also nothing wrong with, and I've seen this happen too, an engineer who identifies as an engineer, but he or she finds over time they're actually drawn toward the people side. And they find that it's in the relationships and, and sort of like the leverage of people management because you're working through many people instead of just yourself. It's a really rewarding thing and like that's okay too. It's not like you're turning your back on your world, your community. Uh, I mean, someone previously said to me, like, if you're a manager, you're going to stop coding and that's going to be outside your wheelhouse. And are you, are you okay with that? And I was like, I don't know. But I mean, like you give me a little bit of hope that it, it's not like something that just drops off the map. Like, well, I'm never going to code again. That's it for me. No. And, and not only that, but a great manager management is such a hard role because you are in the middle on one side, you have your direct reports and then oftentimes you've got senior leadership on the other side. That's a really hard job. It's actually harder than just being on one side. It's actually easier in some ways to go into executive leadership or to stay as a software engineer. Because a software engineer, they get to ship code and they get instant feedback of if they did a good job or not. And similarly, if you're an executive leader, you get instant feedback. You make choices. There's maybe financial metrics or KPIs or whatever that tell you this is working or this is not. When you're a manager, you are in the middle and you get very few, until you know which signals to look for, you get almost no signals. And all of a sudden, especially for engineers, you're like, oh gosh, I, why don't ship code anymore? So where is my value? Where is my worth? How do I know I'm doing a good job? And it, I see so many first time engineering managers just unravel in those first couple weeks. Uh, and, but to pull it back, I think one thing to remember is you, it doesn't mean you have to walk away from code because you actually should keep some technical competency. 
he might not be the one contributing it anymore. Oftentimes that's an anti-pattern because you need your team to be the best, not you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, um, but stay close to everything because you've got to be able to command some technical authority in order to lead technical people. I mean, I, I know most engineers probably don't want to work for someone who says, well, I've never programmed in <laughs> right, my life. Yeah. They're like, Okay. Why? Why, have, why am I listening to you? Why are you making the decisions about <laughs> what I'm going to do? Like, yeah. yeah. And so, it, having some knowledge about it is always very helpful. And yeah. I mean, and then even with like the rise of the project manager and and things like that, um, I was reading like how to be a project manager or whatever the other day, and they're like saying that you're not actually in charge of them. You're just in charge of the project, and they can choose to listen or not listen to you. And that is just so like. Yeah. And you have to like show them that you're technically competent yeah. as well. I'm waiting for that role to blow up a little bit mm-hmm. or break because it's an incredibly difficult role. And yeah, you're right. One of the things that's so odd about it is you're leading a team, but they are not your direct reports. You are not a manager. You're actually an individual contributor, but you've got to motivate, command authority, be technical, execute. It is... It's a wild job. And report on where the project is and yes. everything. And there's a lack of PMs. Yeah. And there's like no degree path or anything for it. Yeah. And so, and most of the time people going into it are people that are like later in technical careers and yep. not new co- college grads. And so, yeah, it's just, yeah, it's a very interesting role. Yes. Good luck, PMs. <laughs> You're going to need it. <laughs> you are. <laughs> Well, um, it has been a delight to have you on, Sarah, in tech. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. Does your little assistant want to come by and say hi? Hadley, you want to jump in here and say hi? Come on. All right. Say hi, Hadley. Hi. Got to talk into the the microphone. Right here. Hi. Are you going to be a little technical person, too, when you get older? You don't know yet? She's got the type A personality for it, for sure. She's very curious. We'll see. Do whatever you want. Doesn't matter. Just be happy at the end of the day. Yes. That's that's the important part. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Had fun. Thanks for listening to Sarah in Tech. Feel free to email me at sarah at sarahintech.net. Or follow me on Instagram at Sarah in Tech. Hope you enjoyed listening. <laughs>